This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So good evening and welcome everybody to Christchurch Jerusalem uh, to our Wednesday night Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy, which we have entitled The Last Words of Moses. We are coming up to the end of his speech as he has um, once again retold the Torah, but in a very interesting way, preparing the people of God to cross the Jordan and enter the land and set up uh, a people that are holy and just and reflect the character of God. And we've been taking a lot of his teachings, um, his advice, his, uh, his, um, the way he has uh, explained the, the Torah to us and taken it to heart to our communities today. This is one of the most popular books, or the most, popular, most quoted book in the New Testament. All right, let us begin. We acknowledge that our Messiah is present. God is present by his spirit, and we do so with prayer. So, Brother Neville, would you pray us in? Yes, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word, to be enlightened by your spirit and, and edified by each other. Father, we pray that you would make this a very special occasion, Lord, and, and uh, please anoint and help Aaron as he teaches and explains these things in your word. Father, we bless you for your provision. We pray that you would honor us by your presence and meet us in our need. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, okay, so first of all, um, we have a request to send uh, some notes. You can't see them on a phone, so... Is that okay? Anyone can? Okay, excellent. Thanks, Jennifer. Appreciate that. All right, guys. I will reread. I will reread. I will read the uh, notes that, or the summary that we had from last week, which was chapter thirty. Today's chapter is thirty-one. But this is a, a discussion, a retelling of our discussion from last week. Moses concludes his retelling of the Torah, the Deuteronomos, or the Mishnah Torah. Okay, those hats. Mishnah Torah is what's written in the Hebrew text. Deuteronomos is what comes in the Septuagint, where we get the word De Deuteronomy from. Moses concludes his retelling, linking everything once again to the individual's heart and soul. The initial future of Israel, however, was not going to be too promising. The previously mentioned blessings and curses from chapters 27 and 28 were to befall the people of God. The future was exile. In its success of the conquest of Canaan, Israel was going to fail to maintain the covenant. And this is an interesting thought, that blessing from God and success, which is a good thing, can bring about spiritual decline, idolatry and subsequent punishment, which is a bad thing. In terms of a pep talk for Israel, it begs the question, if exile is the future, why enter in the first place? Why not just stay where they are and continue to wander the desert? Perhaps a wider question can be asked of ourselves. Why is it that revelation rarely seems to actually change our behavior? Repentance is one of the seven things called into existence 
before the creation. It's always available. Moses promises that God will hearken to the repentant heart, which in verse 2 is paired with obedience. Obedience of the heart and soul, restoration of the land of Israel from the distant nations where God has scattered his people, New Zealand being the furthest part of the earth from Jerusalem, follows repentance, obedience, and forgiveness. Upon returning to the Lord and the land, it would be God himself who would circumcise their hearts. And this is alluded to in Ezekiel's prophecy, in which the people are restored to the land, and then God removes the heart of stone to be replaced by a heart of flesh, and then provide a new spirit. Modern-day Israel has, has been returned largely in a secular form, but is witnessed today by the rising Messianic community. It is not that God ever abandons his people. He has been in Egypt with them. God, too, came forth in the Exodus. He has dwelt with his people in the wilderness, led them, fought for them, provided for them, despite their rebelliousness. He will also go into exile with them and will come back with them. The curses once placed on Israel will fall on their enemies, which we can also see unfolding in the nations around modern Israel. What was wrong with the covenant or the commandments that Israel could not keep it? God says through his servant Moses that actually the commandments are not that difficult. They are not hidden in heaven. And they are not beyond the reach of humans to understand. Moses speaks of the closeness of the word of God. Again, a reference to the heart. Write these laws on your heart has been a strong theme in the last words of Moses. The Bible makes the claim that the sacred words of God are for all people. They are not to be relegated just to the priests or the ruling class, but for everyone. And Paul makes this claim with the gospel in Romans 10, where he actually quotes these verses to say that the mysteries of the gospel are not hidden, but they are open to all. All this does not mean to say that the walk with the Lord is quick, simple, or easy. Now, there is a Talmudic story about Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hananiah, who encounters a child on the road and asks for directions to the city. The child responds, saying that there are two directions, a short and a long journey. While the short journey appears attractive, it leads to a wall and not to the entrance of the city. The easy path is not always the best path. Moses says that he has set before the people good and evil, a hint to the tree of knowledge in the garden, which was initially forbidden to man. Recall that success and blessing can also be dangerous. How then can we keep the commandments of God? The answer is with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. My commandments are not burdensome. Faith is also an action. With the Torah once again proclaimed to the people, it's time to accept the covenant. All treaties have witnesses that ratify the agreement made. For example... All marriages have witnesses, or the marriage is legally non-binding. Moses calls heaven and earth as witnesses for the covenant made between Israel and God. God cannot be the witness in the covenant, as he is actually one of the parties to the covenant. 
Thus, heaven and earth are called to bear witness. And the response is to choose life. God and man partner together. Israel, by accepting the Torah, will partner with God to bring light to the nations in love, heart and soul, obedience, and through God's own promise on oath to the patriarchs. As believers in the Messiah, this too becomes our calling. May God bless us all to fulfill our vows of loyalty to his name. Amen. All right, that was a summary of, uh, of the notes I made from our discussion from last week. And now we continue on. Moses having concluded uh, his, his retelling with the succession uh, of, to Joshua, Deuteronomy 31. And I'm reading from an ESV. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today and I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy those nations before you so that you shall dispossess them and Joshua will go over at your head. As the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I've commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes before you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to them in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and all the elders of the people. Uh, elders of Israel, and Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the time set in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, then all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. You shall read this law before Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men and women and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach that you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting, and I may commission him. And Moses said, and Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting, and the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and then this people will arise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break their covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done. 
because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me, break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgiven in the mouths of their offspring, unforgotten in the mouths of offspring. For I know that they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I've swore to give them. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I'll be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this, of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Lord, take the book of the law, put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth as witnesses against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way I've commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will not do, because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. All right. Some tough words there. All right, guys. So from an initial reading, okay, looking at the Peshat, what jumps out at you guys? What is it that uh, have you seen something there before? Have you noticed, not noticed anything before? Or is there something that always jumps out at you every single time you read this text? Yes. Verse 26. Okay. Do you remember you had not ever read that before and you and the rabbi discussed it in the parking lot? Yes. Yeah. I still am not sure about this. <laughs> yeah. In the side of the ark? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very interesting um, uh, placement um, for, for uh, uh, the words of the Torah, isn't it? Yes, I hope we all have answers. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe, maybe uh, Mozi will. Well, yeah, no, I don't know. That's a very good question. Yeah. Well, what is the question? I didn't get it. Why do the Why put the the Torah on the side of the ark? Why not like in it or on? No, in it. I mean, in in it by the stones. You know. No, he says by the side. I have a thought on this, Aaron, and I'm not saying it's correct, but my thought is that the ark is, if it goes inside the ark, it's covered by the mercy seat. Okay. And the law is not, although God, we've got the, the tablets of the law covered by the mercy seat, okay. these covenant laws are sitting still alongside, they're still relevant. Even though everything's been covered, even as Christians, we this is still important that we have to do these things. Yeah. 
And it's not that, like, for example, Lord Jesus covers everything of, of the covenant um, things we have to do. We still have to do these things. Okay, that's a good, good, interesting take on it. Yeah, very interesting. Because it does say mitzad, like on the side, not actually inside. Because inside the Aaron, we know what's inside. Okay, there's the stone tablets. What else is there? Wedding rod. Okay, got the rod of Aaron and a jar of manna. manna. Yeah, we got, got those things. And then, you know, for some reason, Moshe says, you know, do this, put this, you know, on the side. And this is going to be a witness against you. It's very interesting. Take a uh, uh, Vida. Doesn't the following sentence say why it's put there? It says... Um, Let me be a witness. Yes, against you. Yeah. So it's visible so that every time they see it... But if it's linked by the side of the ark, who's actually going to see it? The, the high priest. And how often is he going to see it? One time a year. Yeah, so it's actually kind of hidden. It's not exactly like it's available to the people. However, as we've in this passage, we understand that the word of God is to be written, uh, written, uh, said to the people, because Moshe gives it to the Levites, and and uh, Mordecai's got an interesting take on this as to how many Torahs he actually writes. Okay? and and we'll get to that bit. So when it's time, he'll he'll make some comments. But um. You know, the, it's the job of the Levites and the Cohens to actually keep telling the people. Okay? They physically got to hear it. However, there is one copy which is actually put there. And uh, we say it's the witness against, but it's also got lots of commands of. It's the sacred history of. There's a lot of positive things in it, in it too. So it's a very, very interesting uh, dynamic that's going on. Can I ask one question, which always strikes me, and it's, it's something I know you'll cover, but later probably. It's with regard to the Song of Moses. Okay. It, is this the song in Revelation that only the 144,000 can learn? Oh, my gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> okay, lucky I've got a whole week to study this because, um, yeah, yeah, because I, I have no idea. I've never thought of that before. It's Shirat Hazinu, next chapter. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, a you, uh, there's so much in that chapter. Oh my gosh. It's, it, uh, um. But arguably, it could also be referring to uh, Exodus 15, the Song of Moses, when they went through the, uh, the Red Sea. And that was, the, you know, um, praise the Lord that he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. That also is, is spoken of as the Song of Moses. That's a yeah. good point. Well, it's a heck of a lot better than the small thing he teaches them, you know, in this chapter. I mean, what a national anthem that is. Hey, you know, none of this hard tick for it's all fantastic. It's you guys are a bunch of morons. You know, let's sing that one for a thousand years. Um, so can I ask for Roddy's question very quick? I just found something. Okay. Please. Yeah, verse 26. Here it says, I mean, the sages, the Sadikim are divided. One side says it's actually physically in the Ark of the Covenant with the tablets, you know. And some say there was a board that was protecting the Ark of the Covenant and they just put it right there. You know, when they move it, there was like a board uh, yeah. surrounded the Ark of the Covenant. But I personally think that it was in the Ark of the Covenant because Ark of the Covenant is big enough to, uh, you know, 
have all these things fit in. <laughs> okay. Yep. The actual text itself says mitzad. That's the actual <laughs> literal Hebrew, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go, Kevin. The same problem. The sages have the same problem we have. <laughs> yes. Diagnosing. Aaron. Yes, sir. Bernardo. Well, maybe I don't know if it's going back or going forward, but in last week's last week's parasha, it says what in in, in Exodus it says what sin is. And it's different Correct. that what said what it says here, right? Uh, well, so maybe some things were taken. Here. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So hey. this, this. Yeah. Sorry. I'll wait for for you to finish. Yeah. So this this text, the one that we just read, doesn't actually say what's in the ark. Uh, Bernardo is right. Last week's parasha gave a hint of what was actually inside. This one has, let's write it and put it off to the side. And, you know, it's interesting. We talked about it because it was something that jumped out at us. And oddly enough, the sages did too, you know, thousands of years ago. And because they it's not very obvious, you know, what side of what? Side of yeah. the ark or side of the stones? Yeah, and that's, and that's, and that's the thing. When, when people read Hebrew... It, uh, it's not always as obvious as everyone thinks. For example, take a look at verse 1, right? And I'll, I'll read yeah. the Hebrew here. Yeah, let's go back to that one. for me. Okay. Ve'yelech Moshe ve'yidaber et ha'devorim ha'ele el b'nei Yisrael. And, okay, he, he walked, he went, Moshe, Moshe went, he walked, and he spoke. So what's the obvious question? What's the question? You tell us. Where was he going? Yeah, where, where was he? Where did he walk? Where did he walk to? Where did he walk from? Why did he have to walk? Was he not just there? Like, did he suddenly disappear? Did the other guys disappear? Um, and, uh, and, and so yeah, lots of questions, and that gives... The sages, or the people who are studying this stuff, you know, this is how he room. walked. It's that a, is a question. How did he walk? That's a no, yes. That's another good question. How did he talk did the walk? He, no, exactly. And um, that was the conclusion I came to, Bernardo. Moshe walks the talk. No, I mean, Aaron and I already uh, talked about this very topic this morning. And because the camp was so big, Moshe basically um, probably lived his tent and walked to the Israelites. I don't think that he was living right next to them because he's the leader, right? He got a big, bigger tent probably. And so he had to walk. It's very similar to Rodney's uh, previous question. You know, he says, who told Mo Moshe, Moshe to come up to the Lord? It's, again, the answer is Lord. He says, come to the Lord. I mean... If I tell you, Rodi, like, come to your brother, and who is telling me to go to your brother? Your brother is telling you to come to your brother. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd ask Moti about uh, Exodus 24, verse 1. And he said, come up to the Lord. He, and he told Moses, come up to the Lord. Lord. Well, so he, who he, told he, Moses to come up to the Lord? The Lord. <laughs> 
S and SA just yeah. Yep. Uh, well, similar question, you know, Aaron. Yes. Like Moshe went, and so who told Sarin? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Moshe went. Where was he? Where was he? Was he in his own tent? Was he in the ark? Was he with some sages? What was he doing? Was he with uh, Joshua? We don't know. And so you have multiple levels of meaning. And so one of the ways of looking at it is because it's used the word um, yelech and uh, so lelechet and ledaber to walk and to speak. The connection is walk the talk, right? Which is, which is, you know, and Moshe did. Moshe did it. I mean, he had his own issues too. Totally. I'm not going to say he's innocent. He even says he's not innocent. But even even in our language now, sometimes we say the verb and we say, go and do this. We don't yeah. just say, do this. We say, go and do this. <clears throat> this is also true. So it's yeah. it's so two, a, two verbs right there. Yeah, yeah. It's a double verb. Yeah. Two verbs. Yeah. Go and do. Yeah. All right. Hey, I, have a, I have something that I... I had uh, when I was reading this this passage, it was a new uh, idea, a new something new that came, and that I just kind of was looking into that and develop, developing that, that idea in a couple uh, a little bit before our study. But um, when he gathers right after you know the shemitah and and uh, he gathers them at the feast of booths, and he has them hearing and hearing and a hear, and he gathers all the people and they're hearing, hearing, hearing. But then it says. He will gather them all in verse 11. Uh, so when the Israel all comes before the Lord, and that, that's that concept, the hakel or whatever, the hakel. But he says, before all of Israel, you should read this law in their ozen, in their ear. And I had never noticed that, that it was actually, they have to hear. But at this point, he's saying, you shall speak in their ozen, in their ears, And, you know, when you think of like Judaism, it's a, it's a religion of listening. Like you hear, you know, Greeks, it's all about um, the art and the Olympics and the body forms. It's all about seeing. So wisdom is seeing. But with, um, you know, the God of Israel, it's just amazing how the concentration of hearing. And we've talked about that all throughout Deuteronomy, the yeah, concept yeah, of hearing. Yeah. And he says this. Yeah, exactly. The Shema. And he says the same thing again. He says, I know you're going to rebel. I know you're going to be stubborn. So once again, verse 28, speak these words in their ears. It's like how it's just so much more emphasis. And then, you know, he talks about it in Deuteronomy when they heard the people gathered and they heard the sounds and they saw no image. So it's just that whole idea of really going how, I mean, how explicit does he have to get beyond just the hearing is it just a throw it into their ears. And then another thing, And then I was like, wow, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, which, you know, I'm always use that with my children at home and, the, you know, in Bible studies, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's very, it's a very Hebraic, it's a very Jewish concept in Romans oh, chapter totally. 10, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. even, even going outside of Jewish circles, how many times do we constantly say, I want to hear from the Lord? You know, mm -hmm. I don't hear God's voice. You know, there's, there's, that's, that's, that's in our circles too. You know, we all desire actually to hear God's voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is probably the most common thing Christians say. Yes, we want to see his power. Yes, we want to feel his love and see his blessings. But if we're honest, many of us say, I want to just hear his voice. Mm 
There's something but very powerful it, about that. And, isn't it very uh, important? And, sorry, Erin. Isn't it very important to have spiritual ears here? Because in Isaiah right. six, God, uh, the Lord says to Isaiah, "Hearing they will hear, but not understand; seeing they'll see, but not see." So, mm -hmm. is it not vital that it is really we can have ears and hear yeah. all of this, but it means oh, nothing. Totally, it yeah. has to be a spiritual hearing. Yeah. Because yeah, the prophets the themselves have said, you have ears, but you don't hear, and you have eyes and you don't see. And um, Kevin made the point, you know, hear as ears let him hear. Uh, on the day of the gospel, you know, 3,000 believers, others heard, didn't, didn't believe. And that's going to be true of everybody. Um, you know, any preacher knows that when he stands up and talks, only about 10% of the congregation actually like it, okay, or actually even heard the darn thing. The other 90% the other are waiting for coffee. You what did you say, Aaron? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go. Predestined ones, uh, Roddy and Aaron. What was that? <laughs> you mean the predestined ones here? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, only the predestined ones because, you know, Sharon's an absolutely really good Calvinist. Okay, that's fantastic. John John would be and impressed. Then, and then another thing is uh, I was doing a study in Lishmoa to hear. It's, it's like 92 times in Deuteronomy, only six in the whole book of Leviticus. So that's another Oh, that's an interesting thought. Oh, I had not. Wow. Well, good research there. Okay. Can I, uh, Aaron, can I just add a thought about the, this very physical way that Hebrew has of expressing ideas? And one of, one of the passages I like is from Proverbs 6, and you will probably know this, but it, the way that it talks about actions in terms of parts of the body. So there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So here we go on a tour around the body. Haughty eyes a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Mm. So it's, you know, it just goes around the body in, in order to illustrate actions and, and deeds. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of speaking into the ears is just, mm. uh, for me, it's just the richness of the Hebraic way of saying these things. Very concrete, yeah. Very good, Neville. Thank you for summing that up. So that's uh, that's Proverbs 6, verses uh, 16 to 19, if yeah, people are... just write that down. Yeah. And pre-printing press, too, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sure, that's okay. It changes yeah. everything, right? Culturally, yeah. it changes everything. <laughs> well, that's right. Let's remember, like, and just like in this passage, the Levites have to teach the people of Israel the, the, the book, not everybody has the book. In fact, no one has the book, just a few people. So they have to hear it. It's, they've got to gather around somebody who can say it out loud. And that, that theology is right there in the New Testament when Paul says, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, right? And uh, which, is a, which is a very interesting thing uh, to say. All right, good. Great. Man, this chapter just started with some lively discussion, and we didn't ever yeah, have to talk about politics or religion. That's awesome. Okay. We need to talk about ears. Gee. Okay. Good. So Moses goes out from somewhere, and he um, walks the talk, and he addresses the people. And he says, oh, he's actually giving a little bit of self-disclosure. There you go. I'm 120 years old. Very rarely does someone ever say that honestly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, today, Hayom, and he is not able to go in 
will come out, all right? Because the Lord has said, you will not cross over this Jordan. Okay, so what do we make from that verse? How old's our hero? 120. Okay. Uh, 120 and a half? 123 <laughs> quarters? No, 120. 120, that's correct. So, so the Jewish tradition is, it's also Moshe's birthday. Yeah. Yay, all right. You know, so when someone has a birthday, we say 220. So, where did, yeah, I where did we get that? Aaron, where does that concept of the day that you are born is a day that you die? Like, I mean, that you just read it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. This is it. <laughs> okay, this is it. Moshe's 120. He ain't going any further. This is it. No. Yeah, but I mean, here's the thing. He's 120, even though he's so capable of living longer. But what he means is like this. He says, I'm 120. And I fulfill all my mission on earth. So I, I could live longer than this, but God didn't allow me to pass the Jordan. So that's it. You know, 120, I finish everything, then I'm going to die. Even though I could live, but God doesn't want me to live. So what can I do? That's it. That's a wrap. Because he, he looked really that's young. True. That's you the know? tradition. Yeah. The Jewish tradition is Moshe could have lived a lot longer. Yes. Yeah, so I no. just say that he was so young. He was so young, you know. But wait, why didn't he live longer? I missed that, Mordecai. Because because God forbids forbidden him to cross the Jordan River and enter the the oh. promised land. And well, he could have wander around a little bit more. No, so can, no. <laughs> so he can get a little older before he. No, he could stay in Jordan, anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. So he has, he has done his job and he has done, he's done all of his job. There's nothing more actually physically to do. So it's, it's time to go. And this sets up the tradition that heroes of God are born and die on the same day. And, uh, and that follows through into um, actually even into the new Testament. Okay? Um, we, we lose it a lot in our uh, Christian tradition because uh, we don't think about these kind of things. But um, that's where it comes from. And this is the reason why in early Jewish believers, early followers of Yeshua, why if Jesus, if we know when he dies, we know when Yeshua dies. You know that. It's Pesach. You know it. Okay. And so, therefore, when was he born? If heroes of God are born and die on the same day, when was he born? Okay. And that's the reason why they jump back and they say that he was, he was, he became, he was impregnated into the womb at Pesach. That's when he became alive. And so that's when he dies. But it's and actually so, also symbolizing that he fulfilled his mission, you know? There you go. There you go. Yep, he fulfilled every piece of his mission. There was no more for him to hang on the planet, even though he did for another 40 days. Um, but he's done. That's a good connection. I hadn't actually hadn't thought of that, uh, Mordecai. Yes, and besides of uh, using it for birthday celebrations, we also use it to show that we, we still have things to do. I remember someone asked my rabbi if he was going to be retired because he's so old. 
And he told them in Yiddish, ich bin nicht 120 yet. So I'm not 120 yet. So of course he wasn't. But what he means that, you know, I still, you know, have something to do. So it's also symbolizing. It's very, very common in the Jewish world that you sometimes say, I'm not 120 yet. Like, I, I, uh, I have something to do more. Well, I feel really young now. Thanks, Mordecai. It's great. You, by the way, you're a baby, so you're fine. Am I? I feel like 130. <laughs> Aaron, can I just make an observation about the age of 120? Because in the one psalm that's attributed to Moses, Psalm 90, he says um, uh, about, about the age of people, says the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So he is the one that brings in this general understanding that the kind of level that we would expect, you know, 70 or 80 is a standard age of life. But his one was you know, significantly longer. Yep. There you go. All right. I like the idea of living to 120, just so you know. Okay. Anyway. All right. So verse, verse 3. The Lord your God, okay, himself will go over before you. Well, he said that before. It's a comforting thought. And there's that where there's, there's this, this idea that you've got to partner with the Lord. God will indeed go over before you. But the promised land doesn't come to you. You have to cross the Jordan. And so there's that walking together uh, with the Lord. He will destroy these nations before you. Okay, well, that's um, nice and peaceful. But we understand, of course, that the sins of Canaan had reached their fulfillment as prophesied in, Gen in Genesis. And it was um, sometimes evil had to be purged with violence. It can't be talked down. Okay, there was some sometimes, you know, you just can't talk to some dictators like, say, Hitler. You can't reason with him. You have to physically... Sorry, guys. That was a um, FaceTime. Uh, <laughs> some guy in America just tried to call me. My phone's linked to my computer. I just can't turn it off. I'm really sorry about that. He most likely will call back. Okay. Can, can I mention something on that verse? Um, yes. That just struck me. And yes, I'm going to get a little spiritual there. It says Excellent. The Lord Vita, you have to because you always got to keep us grounded in spirituality. It says, the Lord your God will go before you. And then it says, just towards the end of the verse, and Yeshua, he shall go before you. So yeah, here it's yes, linking Yeshua as the Lord your God going before you into the promised land. Yeah, uh, there, there's no, there's no um, coincidence, okay, that, that uh, you know, Yeshua, Yehoshua gets the same, gets the very, the, these very similar names. Not, not at all. Uh, coincidence is not a kosher word. In the New uh, Testament, the names are identical. Correct. It is Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. The yeah. book of Hebrews emphasizes that even if Joshua did bring the people into the land, he did not enter he did not lead them into God's rest. That remains for another Jesus. Another Jesus. Yeah, there you go. It's a, it's a great, great, there's no coincidence in this being done. Because, of course, Joshua isn't, isn't elected, is he? He's appointed. God has engineered this whole thing. 
Yeah. Okay. A, we're, we're, not, we're not going to have an election to choose to have another election like we will in about two weeks' time. Um, this is actually an appointment by the divine. Okay, so the Lord is going to go before us. Joshua will also go. So there's, again, that partnership between heaven and earth, that partnership that we have to walk out as well. You know, the Messiah suffers absolutely, and Paul says we continue in the sufferings of Christ. Okay, it's a very interesting thought. But there's this definite partnership. Uh, as the Lord has spoken, verse 4, and the Lord will do to them as into Sichon and Og, the kings of the Amorim. I, I, I actually have not counted the number of times that Moshe has, has mentioned these two guys before. They are a big deal in the history of Israel, okay, and all the traditions that come about these, uh, these, these guys as descendants of the, of the Nephilim. Everyone knows who they are, right? Yes, we do. Yeah, we had a couple of good sessions on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. And uh, and he has destroyed them. Verse five. Okay. Um, the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. All right. Okay. So, what do you take with that? Well, I have a friend. To, to. Go right ahead, Bernardo. To treat them as other nations, other pagan nations. Well, in this case, and not give in to their in ways. A very special right? way. Okay, you have to wipe them out. And this yeah. is this this does cause some consternations between some believers, particularly when they read the Hebrew Bible and they just don't like it because they can't seem to reconcile uh, what they know of God from their experiences in the new covenant. Um, and and uh, so there was a person um, who, who spoke to me on Sunday um, who said that they'd been studying. They couldn't join us on Wednesdays because they, they fall asleep. They get too tired from their work. Um, but they study Deuteronomy independently, and they always wrestle with these texts. You know, how, how could God want to kill people and so blatantly say it? And, uh, and, it's, a, and it's, a, it's a thing we have to wrestle with, of course, that um, God is here is, is, is saying that there's going to be divine victory. Okay, you're going to go, go forward. And it's going to be violent. And it's going to involve human participation. And um, yep, exactly. you, you, yep. yes, it's not that difficult. I don't see where it's that difficult. No, I, I know you and I don't see it, but some people do. Okay, I, I guess it helps with your perspective, right? If God made the world, He can do whatever He wants. Depends well, that's one perspective. You could, you could just do a blatant, you know, God's in complete control. Whoever dies, dies. But God is also compassionate. He is love. He is mercy. He is all those characteristics too. And right. so, our understanding of love, mercy, and compassion, we then ourselves have to try and reconcile these things. Right. But one characteristic isn't stronger than another, right? Justice sure. sure. But doesn't, doesn't the Lord say that they can't go into an area because the sin hasn't come to the fullness Correct. yet? Correct. That's and so yes. God yes. only judges, as you're saying, until really when somebody has done a full sin and, the, and a judgment comes on them, whether that's yeah. a destruction. Yeah, that's in Genesis 15, 16. Yep. The fullness of the Amorites, yeah. The it's not yet done. So only when, only when it's ready, then you can go in. 
and uh, and you can. But it's interesting that it's humans who are also involved in divine punishment, and we have to be very careful when trying to apply that to ourselves, because because people do. Okay, you know they say, "I am an instrument of God's vengeance," uh, which is also just as bad as saying. Um, I will do nothing because vengeance is solely the Lord's. Yes, vengeance is the Lord's, but he also uses humans. And so there doesn't is a it say we'll judge angels? Yes, that's another good one. Yeah, we participate. God, when he made man, you know, he loved it. He loved the idea of making man. It was the pinnacle of his creation. He said, I, I want you to have dominion. And uh, you're going part, to partake with me in, in looking after creation. You'll work the garden. You'll shed my life. You'll, you'll, I want to come down and talk with you. There was a, there's this intricate relationship that we have now with the living God. It's actually incredible and really quite beautiful. But we also partake also in, uh, in some of his plans, um, which unfortunately sometimes end in, uh, in violence. Uh, as we've talked before, sometimes violence is the only way to purge, to purge evil. Evil. Okay. Evil. Sure. Last, last week, I heard this story. I don't know if it's in the Talmud or, or another source, but it said that when the, when the Israelites uh, didn't meet the brick quota, so they started killing and using the babies to fill in the space, right, for the walls. And Moshe tried to um, stop this, but then Hashem Yehovah, he allowed it because those, he knew that those babies were going, going to grow up to be sinners. Oh, that I had not heard. No, I haven't heard that. And, well, if, if the story is true, then archaeologically it can be proven and find the bones in the oh, walls, I guess. Uh, I haven't seen anybody find bones. In oh, wait a second. People do find bones inside uh, walls, but I don't think they were babies. But um, anyway, um, it is a midrash. Uh, that's uh, that's taken on on the, on the book of Exodus. Okay, so verse six. Uh, then we get the admonition, which runs strong in this in this book, both for the nation and for Joshua, for the individual himself. So be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people. Oh, so be strong and courageous, so do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Okay, what's, um, what's so powerful about this? Why does Moses even have to say this? That God's not going to leave you or forsake you? What is so powerful about the God of the universe going with you? Yeah, go on. Joke or <laughs> no, who's about to leave them? Joshua, lead no. them? Who's about to leave? Moses. Oh, I see Jemina. Okay. Now, I know that the people, people of Israel have got the tabernacle inside. They've got the, they're, they're camped with the tabernacle. There is the pillar of cloud. There is manna from heaven. Moses could have said any of these things. He could have said, guys, you don't have to worry. Look, there's a cloud. See, you're fine. You know, don't worry, we always got water from the rock. See, you're fine. You know, you know, did you guys not pick up manna this morning before we started talking? Yes, you did. You know it happens you, every single day, God without fail. But all the people have actually known as a human. 
Isn't it interesting? You see a bunch of miracles, but it's a human who's about to die. Oh my gosh, we're in trouble. And Moses saying, no, it's okay. Be strong. Your God's actually with you. Yeah, I come and go. Joshua, come and go. We all are leaders, we come and go. But the Lord your God, he will not leave you or forsake you. Absolutely. And because he will not leave you, it also implies, just like he came out of Egypt with them, he goes into exile with them, he comes back with them, he's always with them. And, and Yeshua says exactly the same thing. doesn't matter where you go. Where two or three are gathered, I will be with you until the end of the age. It's very similar, very similar thinking. Okay? We have sometimes an attraction to charismatic figures. And we have attractions to um, things being the same. We don't like it when things change. You know, presidents come and go, kings come and go, our bosses at work come and go, and, and sometimes people get nervous for some reason. Okay? Um, but Moses is trying to say, you know, these things are not what's important. What's actually really important is the fact that um, God is with you. God doesn't change, and he's the one that's going before you, and he's the one that's going with you, and he's always been with you. So go for it. Then, then seven, Moses summons Joshua. Okay, time to make uh, an election. No, time to make an appointment. Let's all remember democracy not in the Bible. Okay, uh, Joshua, and he brings them before all the people. So where's Joshua been hanging out? Anyone know? He was with Moses always at the tent of meeting, like by the tent of meeting, right? Kind of just. Yeah, in the tent. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mordecai, yes, Yvonne, Mordecai, you are absolutely right. Exodus um, 33, verse 11, says, Thus uh, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's nice. And then Moses turned again into the camp. His assistant, Joshua Ben-Nun, a young man who would not depart from the tent. Okay, so there's our little buddy, and yeah. uh, he is Moshe's assistant. He's his. Uh, and she's not even a Levite, right? Yes, you're right, Bernardo. Do you happen to know wow. what tribe he's from? He's from Ephraim. Yeah, he's a Nunanite. <laughs> he's a Nunanite. Yeah, that's right. His uh, his his parents, his lineage, come from Ephraim, and he's in the tabernacle. And you, you scratch your head and you go, "Wait a second! I thought only Levites were supposed to be in the tabernacle." So, what does that mean? Means he was a fancy guy. Moshe liked him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he was one of them. <laughs> Yeah, but it, even I, though, I thought I I thought there were no VIPs in the kingdom, but now I'm <laughs> having second second thoughts. Second thoughts about that one, yeah. Um, so it is true that the Kohanim and the Leviim have a special job in the tabernacle. They do, but that does not mean that the tabernacle was off limits for anybody else. In fact, it was welcome for anybody to come, and so they did. And some people, like good old Joshua here, he just hang out in the temple, in the tabernacle because he loved it. He liked the idea of being close to God. He liked the idea of being able to hear his voice. He liked the idea of being able to assist Moshe whenever Moshe had a special task. And, um, and he becomes the guy that God says, this one, 
this one. Because, you know, has Moses got kids? Yes, he has. God doesn't choose them. Okay, this is not dynastic here. This is not where we go, you know, your son shall inherit, which we do in monarchies. Okay, you know, David's going to have to have a son. It's going to be the house of David. So we've got to have an actual lineage going on here. But, um, and, but no. And in, in Europe, with the divine right of kings, we've gotten ourselves into a lot of trouble because of that. Yeah, I know. It's a, the divine right of kings is, uh, is, a, is a real issue. Um, I was having a discussion. I don't know who it was with. Um, but somebody was talking about, you know, kings not being good and monarchy being bad and, you know, people doing anything without being elected. And I just went, okay, how many um, executive orders has President Biden passed in the last 100 days? And how many of those were voted on? Now, let me go, none. What's the difference between him and a king? I'll tell you, nothing, okay? Um, there's a, uh, it's, it, it doesn't matter what you do, guys. Once you get into the realm of humans, it's a mess. Okay. It's an absolute mess. Power. Yeah. Uh, but it is true. It, uh, the divine right of kings, fortunately or unfortunately, however you like to say, they do have a small biblical precedence for it, is that it is the only form of government that's actually appointed by God. So they have... They, they have a, a, a thing why they, they say it. And we all actually look for the, the Davidic king to return. Do we not? Yes, we do. So um, anyway, God, uh, sorry, God, Moshe. God through Moshe, how's that? Summons uh, Yahshua in the sight of all Israel and, and gives him this be strong brother and uh, talk. Because uh, you're going to lead the people into the land that the, God, that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and to put them in possession of it. It is the Lord that goes before you. Again, partnership. You're both going. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So do not fear. Do not fear or uh, be dismayed. All right. So um, you know, God is going to lead his people into the land. That's God's work but God works through people. Okay. And um, because God works through people in our lives, guys, how do we, because we often pray for things to happen like a healing, please, Lord, heal me. But if God works through humans, who might he work through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just pray, not not doctor. Not our will, but our yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you see, you know, people go, okay, I, I'm not going to just sit on my butt, I mean, and just wait for the Lord. Uh, he might use a real human to physically do something. And oddly enough, that human might be you. Isn't that nice? <laughs> and also a very powerful thought and comforting thought when you think about it. Um, but, yeah, so God uses engineers. He uses doctors. He uses our communities he uses our teachers okay um we, you know you know we often say to the to, to to brother preach the word of the lord well he not god i mean how dare he even remotely think he's going to get to open his mouth and say the words of god but we want them to we want we want to go to church and we want to hear somebody preach the word we don't want to hear them read the word we want to hear them preach the word and uh but we also want to hear the word of god read as well but um, so God works with 
with humans. And so that means things like words of knowledge, advice from people, healing from doctors, they all can actually have at their spark and at their, at their soul the hand of the Lord. And even that scripture in the New Testament, Aaron, that says that we are all, uh, you know, ministers of reconciliation. We're all ambassadors for Christ. So yes, every one of us in our everyday life is, you know, in a Christian sense, right? Not just yep. a practical sense. But we are indeed. We partake in every aspect of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so then verse 9. We've just introduced uh, his uh, replacement and no one objects. That's nice. Uh, Moses writes the law, this Torah, this, this law, and he gives it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carry the Ark of the Covenant. Because remember, there are two, two branches of the house of uh, Levi, Kohanim and Leviim. They all got, each got different jobs. Okay? But one of the functions of, the, of the, the Levite is to carry the Ark. Only they can do it. The Kohanim do other stuff. The Kohen Gadol, they do other stuff. Levites will never enter the Holy of Holies. But dang it, they're going to carry the ark. How they manage to get it out of the Holy of Holies, I've got no idea. But anyway, they do. Okay. Um, and, uh, and to all the, so he, Moshe is going to give this to the Levites and to all the elders of Israel. Can I say something about this? Yes, please. So in the oral tradition, we believe that Moshe first gave the scroll to the Levim. And all the people complained about this thing. They say, why can't we get one? The Levim got it. So it is in the oral Torah. And this complaining of these people made Moshe so happy because these people were so eager to have the word of God and obey it. And then Moshe said, until this day, God did not give you a heart to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear. At that very day, he told them earlier. And then he gave 12 additional copies of the Torah to the elders of Israel. So the Rosh Shavim, the like head of the tribe. So basically, you got 13 Torahs, one in the Levim, and 12 in the, with the elders of the tribes. And... But these Torahs are not completed. It's uncompleted because the final eight verses will be written by Yahshua himself because it's all about the death of Moshe, you know, what happened afterwards. Hmm. And it's actually it's kind of hinted in the text itself. He gives it to the Levites and to the elders of Israel. Yeah. Yep. And so you get one copy which is put by the side, okay, and all of that complication. Is it the side of the Ten Commandments? Is it the side of the Ark of the Covenant? Is it the side really of important, the Empire? Yeah. Whatever. Um, but the, the, the point is it's written, okay, and um, what was the function of a king? What's, we've talked about this in Deuteronomy. How many laws are given to the king? Not many. Right? You get 613 to everybody else, and you get about four for a king. And what's the first one? What's the first thing a king has to do when he ascends to the throne? Write the uh, Torah. Correct. And so that's what Moshe does. He writes the Torah. Okay? And uh, the Torah, see it. not the commandments, the entire Torah. The Correct. first five books of Torah, 
that been written by Moshe. Correct, correct. Except the last oh, eight right. verses, yeah. Yeah. And so this is the same function as a king. That's what he does. And uh, it was the role of the priests to transmit the word of God, right? Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of release, in the festival of Booth, Sukkot, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place where he, he will choose, once again, he never actually says Shiloh or Jerusalem, okay? Just, there's a place, okay? You will read this law before Israel in their hearing. And, uh, and so it was at the, the, the earliest parasha, parasha de Shavu was actually a seven-year cycle. You got it once every seven years. But do you know why? Yeah, go for it. You go for it if you know. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> so because of this, uh, you know, seven circle year, you know, one year for Shabbat, the land rests. And yep. we, we already have talked about it, right, a couple of weeks ago. But because we don't have the temple and no more food offerings, that's why people turn to one year. So before it was in this uh, seven, what do they call it in English? Shabbat, you know, Shabbatic years circle. Shemitah. Yeah, in English, yeah. So yeah, and we 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 no, no longer have the temple, so therefore we read it in one year circle now. That was this is the answer. Before yeah. then, yeah. yeah. So the practical so, year. Yes. Correct. You got the, the sabbatical year. You would come and you would hear the word of God. I mean, you were probably taught a little bits and pieces by the Levites during that time. Wouldn't be that you were devoid of it, but you would definitely get the full dose uh, once, once every seven years. Um, because what's the danger if you neglect to do this? If you don't hear the word of God regularly, what's going to happen? Well, you can't live, right? Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. Right. Amen. Amen. And we can see Amen. what happens to society when you neglect the word of God. You yes, will you forget. Can. You will fall away. You will move towards something else. That is correct. Um, yeah. I, I remember when I did a... Um, I gave a, a talk on Jerusalem syndrome on Israeli television uh, a couple of years ago. And um, after giving my little talk about my little 10-minute spiel, then a, a psychiatrist got up and he gave his little 10-minute spiel. And some other psychiatrists got up and gave her a little 10-minute spiel. And, um, and then they threw out questions to this live audience, like 150 people in this live audience. And... Um, the very we've been talking about Jerusalem syndrome, which is for those who are listening on the podcast and don't understand, when normal humans, mainly white Protestant Americans from Canada, America, um, who are perfectly normal, manage to get their passports, buy a plane ticket, hop on a plane, come to Jerusalem, and automatically think that they're God, Jesus, Mary, one of the two witnesses, various prophets uh, of the Lord. And it, it affects one person uh, a week, approximately, 57 people a year, and, um, and it's, called, it's called the Jerusalem Syndrome. And we've had a few at Christchurch. We've had various Jesuses and gods and things, uh, and mm -hmm. one Mary come and stay uh, with us. They're quite interesting people. Anyway, out of, out of our little discussion... Yeah, no one ever thinks they're Judas. That's right, Kevin. No one ever thinks they're Judas. No one's the bad guy ever. They're always the good guy. Right. Um, Very good. 
out of this out of this question, the first question was, I have a question to Aaron, and he said, is it possible for for a human? Is it possible for a human being to live without faith? That was his first question. And you can see that that even among society, it's not possible. They're asking, you know, they're searching, even secular world. Can I live without faith? No. And if you don't get regularly the word of the God, you're in trouble. And we we can look around at at our societies today. So, so, the, the, the society that Moses is trying to uh, instill, they're going to go into the land. There's going to be a variety of altars and, and various things that they do along the way. But in the end, when they set up the, the tabernacle at Shiloh, when they eventually set up the capital city in Jerusalem, you know, you will still gather. And you, even if you haven't heard it for the last couple of years because the Levite couldn't be bothered, you will come to Jerusalem and you're going to hear the word of God because it's absolutely that important. Okay? Uh, it's important for your heart, for your soul, for your livelihood, for the way you're going to treat your fellow neighbor, your slaves, uh, the foreigner, uh, all of those things that we've talked. This is going to reflect the character of God. You're going to reflect the character of God. And it's incredibly important. And so the word of God is incredibly important. And so verse uh, 12, assemble the people. Okay. Well, which people? Well, he goes into good detail. Everyone, the men, the women, the children, very important for the children, and the sojourner, even the guy who's wandered in is now living inside you, the Gentile. He also has to hear. Right? Even the Gentile has to hear, which is reflected in Acts 15, is it not? When James says, even the Gentiles have Moshe read every Shabbat. Okay? You know, that they're also hearing. And uh, that they can, they can hear, you hear it, because they're not going to read it, because there's just not enough copies of the darn thing at the time, okay? So you're going to hear, faith comes by hearing. They will hear and learn. So they, they get taught, and they will fear the Lord their God and be careful to do all the words of this law. And remember, as, as in the last chapter, obedience and heart go, go linked together. They can't be separated. It can't be just, I'm doing what God says, but I actually don't like God. That doesn't count, okay? Mm. It's got to be. It's got to be both. But uh, yeah. But in our homage, it says Gercha, so like not it's your converts, not the Gentiles. Right, and this is this is because that that word can actually mean both. It's 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 unfortunate. It gets it's often used only of converts, but it can also mean 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 mean, uh, mean both. Um. So and the children and in verse thirteen and they and they add the children again, okay, um, and their children. Why an emphasis on the children? Because it says, "You shall write these laws where on your heart." Very next sentence, you will teach them to kids to the children. It's up to us, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure that our children hear the word of the Lord. And, and there's a very important quote that Jesus gives when he's challenged on the Temple Mount just in the, his final week, because the, the children are praising him, you know, glory to the son of David. And his critics say, can't you keep these kids quiet? And Jesus says, have you not read that out of the, ba- the mouth of babes and infants, he has ordained praise yeah. to still the enemy and the avenger? Yeah, oh, he, Jesus doesn't quote that, but yeah. that's the, the kick up the backside for his people who were questioning him. Yep. 
Because they should know. Children are, children are supposed to be there. You know, one of the, I, it's very interesting, and Michelle and I have talked about this uh, in, in our communities, because often when you go to church, what's the first thing we do when we get to church? Send the kids out. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, let's let's put the kids somewhere else other than anywhere near us, Um, which is, it's incredible. We all do it. That's probably not the best way to say that, Aaron. Yeah, I know. But but look at what the text says. The The intention over in Canada is that they are something more meaningful and relevant to their age. It's not to ditch them somewhere. Yeah, and I would say hogwash. The, the, the Bible puts them all together as though kids don't know what's going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, have a look at homeschoolers. You don't hide anything from that. Anyway, all right. So I have a, a nice verse on that one um, from uh, Isaiah 28, 9. To whom help, to whom Will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, taken from the breasts, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, a little here, a little there. Good one, yeah. Good one, Yvonne. Totally, we have to teach the next generation totally, like for sure. And so verse 13, and to their children who have not known it, they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Okay. So, verse 14. And the Lord says to Moshe, Aaron, uh, behold. Yep. Maybe we've already discussed this, but as long as you live in the land. Yes. So, whenever they're scattered... Whenever we were scattered, uh, does some of this go away? Well, obviously, there are some parts of the Torah that you just can't do right outside the land. So, yeah, there's there's a little bit of that. Um, but the, the the remember, there's always two uh, two paths that go. On one hand, it says this. On one hand, it says the other thing. Even though Moshe has said you're going to go into exile, that doesn't mean the Lord's not go, ever going to leave them. You know, it's, it's kind of a strange thing to think of. But, um, you know, God himself goes into exile with his people, even though they were the ones who deserved it, right? God didn't deserve it, but... but um, oh, wow, good point. No, I mean, really, God does not deserve to have his temple destroyed, does he? No, he doesn't. <laughs> does he allow it? Yes, he does. He even calls the guys to come in and do it, which yeah. is a bizarre thought. But well, always uh, called discipline. Yes, yes, it is. It is. It is discipline, and he's doing it for all kinds of really good reasons. Um, obviously it still hurts when you're the one getting the discipline, even if you deserve it. But the blessing is God doesn't leave them. He goes with them and, right. uh, and, and listens to them. you still teach your children. Like to yes. Roddy's question, you still teach your children, even if you're displaced, don't you? And they do, yeah. Deuteronomy 6, you know? Yeah. Well, our friend Mordecai was born in Turkey, weren't you, brother? Is that where you were born? Yeah, so he's, he's, and his dad taught him there. And the mm. Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Well, that's fun, okay? Um, there's, there's actually a few stories, uh, oral traditions, of, of God coming to heroes and saying, Time to die. And most of the heroes say, Nope, don't want to do it. 
Yeah, I always like the way uh, in the oral tradition guys talk to God. It's like, because it says, you know, God, Moses talked to, to God like a friend, right? You know, so, yeah. Time for you to die. Don't feel like it. Okay, we're going to have to talk about this one a bit further. All right. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting. Okay. And there's an interesting phrase there. That's the Ohel Moed. Okay. Um, what's one of the, one of the names for the um, high, high holidays? Moedim. Moedims. Yep. Same word. Okay. The tent of the Moed, the Moedim, the, the appointed place. This is the special place where God, where heaven and earth connect, you know, where they're sort of like the temple is like a router where the signal goes in and it spreads out, right? It's this special, special place. And uh, so go and present yourselves there. You know, why not just talk to God wherever you feel like it? You know, God, Moses at the edge of the camp walking around doing his rounds. Why not talk to him there? No, there's a special spot. It's this tent. And um, Aaron. Yes, sir. So what, what is the word that they use for, for tent there? Is it sukkah or is it mishkan? No, ohel. No? Ohel? Ohel. Ohel moed. Ohel moed. Yep. That is actually okay. the most common common uh, name for the mishkan. We call it the mishkan now. And uh, we sometimes, like, we call it the tabernacle, which it's... And uh, also... Yeah, sorry. No, go right ahead, Mordecai. It's also... Um, we call Ohel uh, for Sadikim's grave sites, you know? Is that right? Yeah, Ohel Chabad Lubavitch, Ohel Satmar, basically. Yeah, the same thing. Huh. So like house or gathering area. Because it's interesting that in the prophet Amos, it says, restore David's fallen tent or hell. doesn't yeah, say rebuild tent, the temple. Yeah, it doesn't say rebuild the, the Beit HaMikdash. It doesn't say rebuild the Mishkan. It says rebuild the Ohel, yeah, and uh, you know we're often saying we've got to rebuild the temple. Nowhere in the prophets does it ever say do that. No, tent. So tent. here, for example, this is the Rebbe's grave. It says Ohel Chabad Lubavitch. If you can see. Okay. So with that word, does it does the uh, the concept of sanctity or sanctuary or holy come along with Ohel? Yeah. yeah. So Moed are times, these are holy place times. I don't know. I'm asking. Well, I don't God's know. dwelling place, right? Yes. What tent is the tent? Yeah. I don't well, it's, a, it's again, it's that, remember, there's, there's multiple levels. God says when he gets his people out of Egypt, build me, right, a tabernacle, a mishkan. That's where it's called a mishkan, okay, because I want to dwell bachem, in them not in it, which is very, so yes, we understand that God has a special place and, and Rory makes a point in the chat there for those that are online. Mm. It's an appointment with God. You meet him where and when he says, yes, you do. And so if he wants to meet in a tent, you in the tent. If there's a special spot on the planet that he needs you, yes, there is. Are there special spots that are holy? Yes, there are. Um, is everything, is everything? So, so that is, so Ohel is more like a, a, a sacred place, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Totally. It also can also just not mean like the, tent. the physical oh. tent. Well, right. I mean, if it, this they're talking about a physical a tent. tent. Yes, here it's a physical tent. It's like yes. I, I wouldn't call my camping tent 
uh, or, or hell? Yes, you would. Yes, you do. Yes? Yes, you do. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep, that's, that's how humble God is. You say, hey, Lord, what are you living in? I'm living in a tent because I'm God and I like right. camping. Okay, great. Excellent. Aaron, can I just suggest, I will just make an observation about that reference to the tent in Amos 9, <laughs> you know, that I will, the Lord says, in that day I will raise up the tent of David that has fallen. When you realize what David did, that he loved to go into the presence of the Lord in this tent that he pitched on Mount Zion. And as far as we know, it had the Ark of the Covenant in it, but not a lot else. And one thing it didn't have was a curtain between Correct. him and the presence of God. Yep. That, that is a very powerful thing, is that God, David, loved to dwell in, in before the face of God. Mm. To pray he said, it's one, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to, uh, and to meditate in his temple yep. and in his, in his tent. I mean, there wasn't, he hadn't built the temple yet, so it was in his presence. Yep, and that's what the prophet says, rebuild that. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and that, I think, is, is really the, the essence of the, of the prophet. Okay. Would you yeah. do Okay, so present yourselves, Moshe and, and Yehoshua. Okay, so they show up at this special place, okay, and God meets them there, and the Lord appears in a, a cloud, okay, and the cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. N not a surprise, God has been in a cloud many times before, okay, on, the, on Mount Sinai, following the, the people of Israel, etc. and so he's, he's here. And the Lord says uh, to Moshe, Behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. Okay, it's been a couple of times now that God has had to say this, most likely because Moses is refusing. Yeah, no, no, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. Okay, I will do it. It's, you've, you've fulfilled your role, brother. It's time to rest and it's okay. okay? And uh, you would think now we're about to say something nice and positive, but we don't. Okay. Uh, then this people will rise and they will whore after foreign gods. Among them in the land that they are entering, they'll forsake me, break my covenant that I've made with them, and then in my anger, they'll be kindled against them in the day I'll forsake them, hide my face from them, they'll be devoured, many evils and troubles, and they will say, oh, the Lord our God is not among us, and then I will surely hide my face in the day because of the evil they have done because they have turned to other gods. So write this down as a song and teach them. So here's our first national anthem, um, and it's not good. What an interesting thing for the Lord to say. Um, <laughs> we've just had a nice little ceremony. Joshua's in charge. Joshua and Moses come, and Joshua's first pep talk from the Lord is, well, this ain't going to work. Uh, what would you be thinking? Give the job to somebody else. Yeah, I'd be like, what? Really? That's it? It doesn't matter what I do. I go in, I win, and they're going to go fail? Well, why would I bother? It was like, can, can I have another job? Can I, I do the sheep shearing thing? You know, we were good at that in the desert. You know, um, it is interesting. It's, um, it's not exactly the most positive thing that we're about to say. We've just, we're up to chapter 31. We've listed all these fantastic blessings and curses and wonderful things that God is going to do and writing the law on our heart. And yet, yet, um, <laughs> there's, this, uh, there's this phrase. But it does reveal something. Is God angry with them now? 
No. God is not angry with the people of Israel now. What is he saying? I'm going to be angry with the people. We're going to get in trouble in the future. I'm going to be angry with the people in the future, but I'm not angry with the people now. He's not naive. They're not naive to human nature, though. It's not like they're, you know, saintly, good little followers that always obey. Like, why, why are you acting so surprised? No, think about it. Okay, the, it, this is not just a, a, a little sin that we're doing. This is going to result in mass extermination and exile, destruction of God's house, defamation of his name, and galoot around the world. But is God angry with the people now? No. He's, and, and so it's a very interesting take on the character of God. God knows that you are going to sin tomorrow. Doesn't he? Yes. yes. Does he love you right now? Yeah. Yes. Does he want to bless you right now? Yeah. Does he want to walk with you right now? Isn't yeah. that interesting? And it, and, and I, I, I looked this up and I was trying to find, and I, I, um, I remembered uh, a, a midrash, but I couldn't, I can't remember the rabbi who said it. I'm very sorry I couldn't find it. If I find it in the notes, it said um, they were talking about this and they said, God judges in the moment. Oh. That is, okay, if, if you pray now, dear Lord, please help. I'm in trouble. My kid is sick. Please bring healing to my kid. God doesn't say, Excuse me, tomorrow you're going to sin. I ain't listening to your prayer. Right now, God is listening to your prayer. He knows your heart right now. He knows how you love him right now. And he's going to listen right now. Tomorrow, when you sin, well, you might get punished. Then. Okay? Not right now. And, and God judges in the moment. Right, yeah, but, but that's not his love. He still loves you. And so if he correct. has to respond to you, you don't stop loving your children when you discipline them. So No, no, no. And neither does God. God says he's angry. God says he's going to hide his face. These are very big things to say. Hmm. Because he's well, never going uh, to forsake them. Mo- so Mordecai, what did you want to say? I don't think uh, God said these things because he knew that they were going to sin and because they are so sinful or bad people. But I think it's all uh, are part of a big plan, you know? It's yep. all like connected to each other. Uh, if there was no Abraham, there would be no Isaac, you know? If there was no uh, Joseph, there would be no Exodus. If there would be no Exodus, there would be... You know, no land, no land, no Torah, no Torah, no Jesus. You know, it all goes like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're sounding like a good Calvinist. You better watch out. <laughs> yeah. no, but it's, we call stop it, it, stop it, Sharon, calm down. <laughs> right? So, like, no, it's all because, it, I don't know. Yeah, no. <laughs> because it, he knew that it, he it, everything was that's exactly right. I totally agree. All of those scripture are in the Bible. All of our Bible, all of our scripture. We just can't, you know, hack out parts we don't like, right? So right. totally God has a bigger plan and we're just part Absolutely. Of and it's very interesting that in terms of God's big plan, the first thing he does is he tells the people of, of, of Joshua, of Moses and Joshua, the people are going to fail. But it sounds That's like it. a bit. Why are you surprised? Like, 
What's the well, problem? first of all, they don't fail under Joshua. Yeah. So why does God have to tell Joshua, hey, they're going to blow it? What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> the, in the book of Joshua, yeah, Josh, yeah. the book of Joshua is the highlight of everything Moses wanted to, to have. When you, when you read Joshua, they go in and they do everything Moshe said. They do the, they do the, the ceremony on, on um, Ibal and Gerizim. They set up the, the place in Shiloh. They divide up the land. They actually read the Torah as they're supposed to on the seventh year in, jo in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. They actually do exactly what they're supposed to do. They, they um, even renew the covenant without any miracles or anything. They, they actually retell the, the story. They say, we're going to do this. And you go, oh, my gosh, you're doing fantastic. But then Joshua dies, fails to appoint a successor, and everything goes bad. But only after he dies, not during his, his life. So yeah. all Joshua would have seen is, wow, we did it. Yeah. We actually did it. We have, we have done and reflected everything God has said. We have uh, been good to slaves. We have taken care of widows and orphans. Um, and we haven't actually done. But here, the very But, first thing that God says is, you're going to blow it. Well, yeah. where, what's the first mistake that they begin that starts this process of failure? Go back to the verses we were talking about teaching your children. Right. If you don't teach your children, yeah. they will forget. They yeah. will move away. And that's what and happens. Ultimately, yes. they're going to fail. And, and, and Roddy, you hit it on the head, is... In Joshua, they read the thing once, and then you don't hear about them reading the law again for another 500 years until Jehoshaphat or someone like that. Yeah, Mordecai, your turn. I, I just want to add something uh, on what I just said. It's it looks like a bad plan, you know. Like it seems to be, uh, you know, the, the God is. I mean, God is using the Jews in order to make this plan happen, right? So he says, like, look, God, I give you the toy, I give you the land, but you're going to fail, and then this will happen to you, this will happen to you. It's, it sounds horrible, right? But there's a reward, and salvation and Messiah will come from you guys, you know? Yes. At the end of this plan, you know? It's yeah. good. Yes, I mean, because when you say that, uh, uh, huh? I'm sorry, Morty, you're, you're going to say something else. Yes, um, you know, we have, we have the Hebrew Bible, we have the Messiah and so many things. And the wonderful and amazing thing is that, that when they did go wrong and then when they did get exiled out to Babylon, God didn't make a little mini, you know, a mini little, he, he went out with them. So he was, he was yeah. with them in Babylon. So he, even in Babylon, he was still there with them. Indeed. Yes. Yep. Yes, that's right. He was there even in, in Babylon and he's here with us. Oh, hang on, right. I'm here, so definitely here. But uh, with you guys as well, even in Brazil. Okay. Um, all right, so just to, to, to sort of wrap the chapter up, um, Moses comes, uh, not Moses, God comes uh, with his two heroes, okay, Moses and uh, Joshua, and he gives them a very dire warning for the future. And then the first national anthem is um, rather unpleasant. Okay, uh, that we teach Israel. No wonder we choose to sing a, a different song uh, next week. Okay, because this one's not so much fun. Um, and then the Lord commissions, God appoints, God anoints Joshua the son of Nun, Nun, and says, "Be strong and courageous," which is what Moshe has already said. But we're going to do it again. For you will bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them, and I will be with you. 
which is an incredible promise, even though he's already told them it's not going to work out. Um, and then Moses finishes writing the words of, the, of this book to the very end, which is, as Mordecai said, well, except the last eight verses because that's going to have to be finished by um, his, his uh, second in command. Uh, and then he, uh, he commands the Levites who carry the Ark of the Covenant, take the book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, Then he gets the debate. Well, is it really on the side? Is it actually on the side of the stones inside the Ark? All this different uh, debate. Okay. This is going to be a witness. There's several things that are now a witness. Because people often forget who actually really said that, who actually really cared. There's a book and there's a song. There's a national memory in, ter in terms of your anthem, and there's a written document that are going that is part of this uh, uh, um, promise and witness that, they, that Israel will eventually uh, break. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? A little bit of Kalvachoma there by uh, Moses. Okay, is that I, I, I've, I've had you for 40 years. I know what happens, and, um, and, uh, and it's just going to happen after my death. Although in the book of Joshua, it doesn't quite work out that way. It waits, it waits a generation. Um, for I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly, turn aside from the way I've commanded. But in the days to come, evil will befall you because of what you will do. But what you will do is evil in the sight of the Lord provoking him to anger, although he's not angry now and uh, through the work of your hands. And, um, but that's not where Moses wants to leave it because he will uh, sing um, a, a very interesting song uh, in the next couple of weeks that we then we read, uh, the uh, Osnashamayim. Okay. It's interesting because there's so many songs in the Bible. It's just yeah. realize it, uh, you know, Miriam and, the, you know, the Yam Suf crossing the sea. And then you have the song in Babylon singing, you know, by the, by the rivers of Babylon. I mean, just, there's just so many. You could just do a whole study on how many shirim, how many songs sung in the Bible. Yes. Okay. So, so just in, a, in, in another couple of minutes, perhaps we could talk about the face of God. Because yeah. as, part of, as part of his little um, discussion, um, you know, where God says, you know, I will hide my face from you. So what do you think about that? Like what's, what's the, the importance of, I mean, this is, it's even a special angel called the Melech Hapanim, the angel of, the, of God's face that, uh, that dwells with him. Because in the daily readings, I know you read it, Aaron, where it talks about Moses' meeting with him the entire time face to face. Yes, that was uh, Exodus 33. Yeah, and we can't do that. Yeah, we I don't. remember talking with Mordecai about this. You know, it's often the tradition that Moses didn't actually see God because it didn't happen, and, and, and Mordecai's like, yeah, he did. Says so in the text, okay? Clearly. <laughs> it was face to face, boy. Yeah. Many times. <clears throat> You know, for, for, for me, it's either he, he's hiding his face or he's shining his face. And that's the, Aaron, the Aaron's blessing in Numbers uh, chapter 6. And, uh, or, he, or it's he, Yeshua. Yeah, he will make his face shine upon you. And it's just very interesting how, and then sometimes, you know, people, 
sometimes we don't even realize if, 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 you know, if God's hiding, sometimes we're just going along thinking God's shining his face and he's with us. But many times he's, he's actually hiding his face. And um, so but that doesn't mean he's not there. That's the thing. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean he's not there. It just means his face is hidden. And there's something very powerful because we often sometimes in our prayers say, Lord, turn your face towards. Well, what were you doing before? Were you, were you like not seeing? Of course he was seeing. But there's that expression and there's that meaning that comes behind it that the Lord doesn't leave you, but that doesn't mean he's not acting beneficially for you. So the loss is ours. We lose the sense of his presence and he uses. Oh, that. say that again, Aria. Excellent. The loss is ours. We lose the sense of his presence. We don't lose his yeah. presence. We lose the sight of God's face as he hides it because he hides it from sin. It's a part of our training. When we sin, we lose God's presence from our perception. How do we restore it? We repent. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Yes. Uh, yeah, you are a chacham. You always seal the deal at the end. I like how you teach. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, Mordecai, he does. Often, often. Yeah, yeah, you know, like at the end, he says something and that's it. You don't have to say anything more. <laughs> yeah, it's true. God is present. We lost sight of him. Isn't that sad? Yes. So let there's us repent. Ver- Aaron, there's the a lovely verse in Isaiah 8 that that sums this up. It also kind of underlines what Arie just said, where um, the instruction comes to Isaiah, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. And he says, Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Mm. That's uh, Isaiah uh, 8 verse... um, because in the Old Testament, there was like the Shekinah glory, eh? So when you felt closer to God or something, if you want to call it like a felt thing or versus, and you, you, I thought you weren't allowed to actually see the face of God without dying. Yeah, I know. But that's what it says in the text. Saw his face, didn't he? I know, but isn't the concept that he sort of went by kind of thing and he sort of saw his back or something? Doesn't well, that's, that? that's a, there's one episode where, where God does, um, where God says, you know, I want to, I want to see your glory. And God says, no, I'll show you my goodness, and then puts his hand over him and then passes behind, uh, before him. But the, the verse we read in Exodus 33 does say that they saw face to face. So it's very interesting, it's very, very peculiar, but the, the idea of face, the presence of God, and this idea that the Lord is present and our sins have, have stopped us. We have d- done the leaving. And, uh, and fellowship, and, I will never leave you or forsake you. Still applies our connect, our our felt experience of him, maybe or something. Correct. Right? He said it in this chapter. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then turns around, you know, and says, "You're going to go into the land, whore after other gods, and so I'm going to have to hide my face." Yeah. And you, yeah. and you think, well, hang on, I've got, what what's going on here? There's a lot in there, and my gosh, this mimics some of our walk, right? Uh, yeah, we in our life. Uh, but. Anyway, so that what verse in Isaiah says, Elizabeth? Did you do you have it, um, Neville? Oh, um, that's that's Isaiah eight verse sixteen. Sixteen, Isaiah eight sixteen for those um, that were listening. Oh, seventeen. Sorry, yeah, sixteen and seventeen. All right. Okay, guys. Um, thank you very much for a great study. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching. 
Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.